thought you were dead. Technically, I was never alive, but I appreciate your concern. Welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we are back following up on the very first suggestion that we ever got when we put the Facebook page up. My friend James Allen from high school actually put a link on there to iRobot. And I thought it was also fitting since we previously had covered the Eando Binder iRobot with the Leonard Nimoy adaptations that we should go back and cover Asimov because iRobot is awesome. And uh, so that's what we're doing. We're going to talk no about way, the way, it's all about the movie, man. Rule Smith is awesome. Right. Yeah, the, bo- the book totally <laughs> screwed up that movie. <laughs> But we will talk about the book, or collection of short stories, whatever you want to call it, and we'll talk about the movie, and maybe some other things as well. So before we get started talking about much of the story, I wanted to talk about our history with it, and the movie, and all that kind of jazz. So do you want to go first, Colin, as our elder statesman? Sure, as the oldest member of the team, he whose bones creak when we go running. Uh, uh, no. I want to say I read the book in uh, that's, that's pounding. high school. Pounding. High school. Yeah. Whoa. Okay, so that was back in the in, in the 20th century. Back in the 20th century, yes. <laughs> and then I probably saw the movie when it came out in a movie theater. Yeah, actually, I think you and I saw that one together. 2004. Yeah. That's very possible. Our, our kids were young, so it's possible we saw that. Um, were you born then, James? Maybe. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that when we, we were running one time and I asked you, you know, what, what books should I read to be a better nerd? You know, a better, better science fiction fan, better... All, all oh, yeah. over fan. And you, you recommended some, you know, Tolkien and Terry Brooks and, and, and I didn't do much of the fantasy side. No. Nope. Um, but I did, I did look up Asimov because I had never read iRobot. Right. And I definitely did read it before we saw the movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was pretty disappointed when I saw the movie because at that time <laughs> I was, I was like, well, why, why is this even called this? And we'll get back to that, I'm sure. But yeah. in the meantime, though, since, since first reading it in the early 2000s, I think, um, I have reread it three or four times, just recently bought it finally. And also I've listened to the audiobook over and over because our library has a good copy of the audiobook. And I think I've listened to it at least four times. So. Wow. And yet I keep forgetting little details of it because I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> because you're so. listening to it. It's like a college lecture. Yeah, That's it doesn't count, hate, right? That's why I hate audiobooks. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, your mind can wander a bit. So. Yeah. So, James. Very true. What is your history with iRobot? Yeah, I don't have one. <laughs> I think it began about two weeks ago. <laughs> nice. Sweet. I did watch the movie, uh, the, the rules of the movie, uh, 10 years ago or whatever, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember liking it. But you had never read the book. But I had never read the book, no. Yeah. See, so your initial impression of the movie was probably different than ours was. Well, the funny thing was I heard, I heard that the movie was vastly different than the, the books. And pretty much the only thing in common was the laws. <laughs> and the title. And the title. Eh, and Calvin and Lanning and that's about in, yeah. in name, I suppose. Right. Well, yeah, we, we can talk more about the movie in detail after right. we talk about the book. Yes. Correct. <laughs> we have to talk about the book first because... Because the book is always right. There we go. <laughs> because I love a good redemption story. <laughs> TM. <laughs> because it hasn't ever been made into a movie. Right. Yeah, true. In in hindsight, now that I've read the the stories and watched the movie... I can pick little pieces in there that are similar, I guess, mm-hmm. um, which we'll get to, I guess, when we get to the movie. Yeah. So in, in my mind, we've done worse. <laughs> okay. Yeah, one of these times we should rank, like, the worst yeah. things that we've watched, worst things that we've read. Oh, that'd be sweet. That'd be um, good. So in terms of, <laughs> do, do we want to talk about kind of some of the backgrounds of the book before talking about what the story is? 
or or do you want to Colin? You want to take a crack at the story? Well, it's it's hard to call it a story. It is. So let's talk about right. the book, and then we can talk about the content. So, yeah, okay. sounds good. So the book was published in 1950 by Isaac Asimov. He originally wanted to call it Mind and Iron, but uh, the publishers took a different story title for it for the book. And you know, you folks have already know this because you've been listening to us for almost two years now, and you know that I Robot was originally the book by Ian Doe Bender. Right. So right. that didn't make Asimov happy, but. Uh, the book collects a series of six stories that had been released between 1940 and 1950 in various magazines. And then he wrote kind of an overarching narrative to tie them all together. And the narrative is someone interviewing Susan Calvin in order to find out what her life was like because she was very reclusive. But also very famous because she was one of the original psychologists for robots. Right. So why did they call her a robot then? Did, your, the, did that come out in uh, your source material for finding its alternate title? It it just says the publisher made it the same as Yando Binders. I wonder I mean, why. You know, I Claudius is a famous. It, it's a book, right? Yeah, it is a book, and and I think that's kind of uh, where it comes from. Okay. If you if you look in popular culture at uses of I comma noun, uh-huh. uh, it's all over the place. There's I okay. Borg. Yeah, but now we're thinking we should be thinking about 1950, not true. The, right. you know, the modern time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything that's is true. I comma noun because of I Robot. True. True. Good point. I Robot. Yeah. So we don't know why, but you know it. it I don't know. It it okay. doesn't doesn't cheapen Yando's work. Then it makes you wonder why they called the Will Smith movie I Robot. <laughs> we'll get to that. Uh, yes, but we'll, we'll get, get to that. that. <laughs> so inside there are six stories, and they range from the really, you know, cute and touching one, Robbie, all mm. the way to the long and sloggy one called The Evitable Conflict, with lots of good stories in between. Yeah, yeah. And right. it kind of goes from the very early days of robots to not not the latter days the late just, days of just, robots <laughs> yeah just just kind of kind of shows how robots helped humanity accomplish certain things right like getting out of the solar system um, because robots were very important in one of the stories to creating to do that interstellar drive right and, yes yes well and they aided well aided humanity in well uh, in more ways than that right? yes they did via the uh no no we won't talk about the inevitable conflict right <laughs> so there's, I think there's two, there's one one-off story, there's a series of three, and then there's a series of two. Right. There's Robbie is, is kind of a one-off story. Right. Sort of introduces the character Susan Calvin. Then you kind of have the Calvin stories, the Donovan and Powell stories, mm-hmm. and the Stephen Byerly stories. Right. But Susan Calvin kind of is the, the common element because it's structured as an, as an interview with her. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting when we get to talking about a screenplay that was written, which uses her even more as a main character. Right. You mean the Ellison screenplay? Yes. Yes. Can can we say what the story was? It's robots exist. They have the three laws. I think we just did. The, the, the story itself was an interview with Calvin. I think – so what and, I would say is they're all stories on a common theme. Right. And, and the theme often is the three laws are absolutely perfect except for all of these cases that can happen. Right. I mean, really, the story is an ex- exploration of the three laws yeah. through the interview with Calvin mm-hmm. by some journalist. I don't remember his name now. You, you think even the first story was an exploration of the three laws? The first story was more about prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. And xenophobia. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. So, but after that, right. you're right. It, it's yeah. a pretty good pretty good example. So the, the three right. laws, should should those of you not know them in detail – uh, and I wrote them down here so that I would not quote them. Incorrectly. No, no, you got to do it. You got to do it. That's, that's tantamount to cheating. Putting dude. you on the spot. All right. A robot may not harm a human or through an action allow a, ro- a human to come to harm. Rule two is a robot must obey all instructions from a human unless they violate law one. 
Contradict law one. Contradict law one. <laughs> and law three is uh, a robot must not allow itself to come to harm unless it violates contradict laws one or two. May not. It must protect <laughs> its own existence. So coming to harm might right. be something different. Okay, but sure. I, I mean, since it's a difference, a little engine, bit, a right? little bit of harm would be okay. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can you can take my finger, but you know. But don't step on my blue suede shoes. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and th- so the first non non prejudice story uh, would right. be uh, run around. Yes. Well, let's so let's just talk a little bit about each of the stories. We're not going to do like a detailed plot summation, but we're talking about which ones were our favorites, and and it makes sense to just kind of do them in order. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think. Right. Do you do them in order? I'm good for f- maybe three. <laughs> uh, I, know, I know Robbie's the first one and Evelyn Conflict's the last. I mean, let me consult <laughs> okay. the note. Well, while you're consulting the note, I'll talk about Robbie. So Robbie is a story of a little girl who has a robot nursemaid and a uh, non-vocal one. Yeah, he doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. But he's able to indicate some things via gestures and, and postures. Mm-hmm. And he interacts with her. Yeah. It did seem like he kind of had facial expressions or of some sort anyway. Yeah, at least by posture and, right. and implication. Because he could he could he could demonstrate emotion. Essentially. Right. He was yes. able, yeah, he was able to demonstrate emotion. Yeah. Body language. Body and, language exists. And he interacts with the girl as a playmate more than a pet. Mm-hmm. Right. So. And so that's an interesting one because there's stirrings in the village where they live. Uh, anti-robot sentiment. Yes. And it's... Right. You find out later on in the books that robots are not allowed on Earth. And so you kind of have... Not at this time, but eventually. No, not at this time, right. but later, later on down yeah. the line. It's like there was a pogrom or something right. against, you know... Lynch mobs against the robots, right. and they and they they made it so that U.S. robots, which we didn't talk about yet, can't assemble them on Earth. Right? They can they can build them, but not actually. Robots aren't allowed to be used on Earth. Right. right. But at this time they were, and so it's kind of that that beginning of of that sentiment, and 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 it shows. One one thing I really like about the book is that there's little hints given about the history of robotics that don't just beat you over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then later on down the line, when they say that Earth, that robots were no longer allowed on Earth, you're like, okay, I could see the beginning of that sentiment. Yeah, I, I like Robbie. Robbie Robbie's an interesting. It was a good story, story. very touching. Yeah, and I and, like just the whole notion. It also introduces the notion that you have to be careful with a positronic brain if you ask it the wrong question, because later on in in the book. And in the um, escape. Well, let's get to that story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the second story is Run Around. Mm-hmm. And it's about two guys who are the official robot troubleshooters for U.S. Robotics. Yes. And Powell and Donovan. Powell and Donovan. And they're on the mines of Mercury. Mercury is a great place to use robots for mining because they don't care about radiation or, uh, you know, tons of heat, tons of cold. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the cooling system for the space station that they're on, on the plant, on the planet is failing. And they send out a robot to go get the element that they need to repair the cooling Selenium. unit. Selenium. Selenium. Mm-hmm. And the robot doesn't come back. Yeah. So this is a great one for, this is probably my favorite story, mm-hmm. I think. And, you know, you, you look at the three laws and, and you're like, well, yep, that covers all cases, right? But then they go and they start talking about, well, this is a top of the line, brand new, very expensive model. And so it's self-preservation. Law three has been strengthened. Now it still can't overcome law one, but it makes it so that it sets up different potentials in there. Yes. And, and I love the fact that it, it basically gets to the locus of equal potential for turning back and keeping going forward and just circles. James. Right. You're all quiet. Yeah. James has fallen asleep. No, no. What's the next story, James? I have no idea. Or do you want, do you want to talk about <laughs> any of the rest of the, 
Oh, so this is another, in this story, you get another one of those Easter eggs about the beginnings of robot use mm -hmm. and how because of the anti-robot sentiment, they built the first ones that had to be piloted by people. Right. And they built a nice healthy slave complex into them because they, they didn't want people thinking, well, these robots are superior to you. Yes. So it's nice, nice little breadcrumbs that he puts there, ironically, when we talk about the movie. Breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. So what is story three? <laughs> oh, story three is, is Lion. reason. Oh. Oh, that's right. That's the, the next in the uh, Powell and Donovan series. Yes. And yeah, James, why don't you, do you want to tell us about Reason? No, I'm trying to remember which one that is. <laughs> so, go ahead. Yeah. I think it's been too long. This is, this is the one where they're on the space station that, that harvests solar oh, energy right, and brings right, it right, to the right. planets. Yes, with the, the robot that turns into the prophet for the master. Yeah. The, the robot yes. that refuses to believe that a less the, uh, the Islamic robot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the robot that does not believe that an inferior creature right. could have created it. And so it makes up this entire, right. The master. The master. And yes. yeah, it's, it's not particularly subtle as a kind of no. Islamist thing. I don't think he intended it against one group, but the fact that they all say, but the way no they master, it, but yeah, the master exactly, and QT1 yeah. is his prophet. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, that's, it's an interesting one because it, you can kind of see it if you're a religious person like Colin and I are. Um, you can see it and you're like, well, yeah, but skepticism can go bad in a lot of different ways. And, right. and there's religious people that are unfairly skeptical of certain scientific topics. And there's scientific people who are unfairly skeptical also about scientific topics. Right. Um, and we've talked about this before when we were talking mm -hmm. about Planet of the Apes and official science, you know. Yeah. True science. But yeah, that's an interesting one. The, I like this that story, but it does not have a very satisfying ending. They're no. like, well, I guess they're working well enough, so screw yeah. the other guys. Let's go home. <laughs> yes. I think it was, was it Powell that said that? Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I don't care. They're working. Let's just get out of here. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, not only that, but they're going to bring in the new robots to be indoctrinated. Right. 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 And sent to <laughs> other like, stations. As long as they keep working and doing it well, yeah, well whatever. <laughs> Works for me. Yeah. Yep. yep. I, uh, thought, I thought that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> and, and apparently the understanding of harming humans does not extend all the way to their feelings, which is something explored in another one of the stories. Yes. Well, it's not the next one. The next one is Catch That Rabbit. And th this is the one where there's the the robot with multiple sub-robots. Right. Yeah. That all... That the, all with the still, six fingers. Yeah, right? six fingers, yeah. essentially. And th this is one of the weaker stories to me. I, I don't I don't care for it as much. Um, I like the, the way he figured it out, though. I thought it was interesting. He took a guess. Yeah. Essentially. He, but well, it was a I did like the twi twiddling. It was a of good a deduction, I guess. I yeah. like I don't yes. know. Um and it would be an interesting one to see with them doing the weird marching formations right. and stuff. <laughs> because there's always the fear of where well they're they're going military or something. They're you know, they're going anti human in right. some way. Except for their dancing ballet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I liked uh, too when um in runaround when Sunny? Is that is that what it was? No. I don't remember what the what, the, what was the robot's name? The, the no. robots all have names based on their, their right. designations. The so QT1 was QD. Yeah. And, right. Um, but the robot in, in Runaround. DV, DV something Speedy, was DV. Speedy. Duh. Speedy, yeah. <laughs> no, in, in that one, when his, his brain, when he was acting all drunk, he was quoting Gilbert and Sullivan. Yes. Which makes you wonder, oh, right. what have they been, you know, in, indoctrinating him with? Where did that come from? Well, obviously classic literature. I guess. He yeah. probably knows some Danny Kaye, Little Music Man. <laughs> at, least it wasn't, at least it wasn't just disco, right? Yes. <laughs> The next one, Seth, is Liar. Yes. And it explores what would happen uh, if a robot could read minds and then be exposed to all the ranges of harming humans. 
Yes. So, you know, maybe not right. allowing them to become physically harmed, but also emotionally or mentally harmed. Right. By the way, we're spoiling the crap out of all of this. So. Yes. <laughs> yes. True story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, James, you and I were talking on our, on our run the other right. day. Right. 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 So, so now enter the fray. Yeah. The, okay. Have so, you lost the ardor of your original argument? Yes, because I defeated myself with my own argument. Right. Self-defeating argumentist. <laughs> yes. I don't like this. No. All right. Defeat yourself for the, for the viewing public. <laughs> right. <laughs> so what was so my, my initial, my initial issue was it, it, is that the, the robot should not have lied to them in the first place, knowing that lying to them would eventually cause them harm. Ah. Right. That makes good sense, except for one thing. Foresight. And or sized him, yes. Right. yes. And that's, yeah. what, that's what I hit you with when we run. I'm like, but he doesn't know the future. Yeah, well, no, I, I kind of figured that out on my own. And yeah, and, and he's... Because I, I thought about it from a... So they're creating these robots to be more human, right? The positive brains sure. are supposed to make them be more human. Well, mm-hmm. humans learn by doing stuff. Right. So the robot's coming out basically a baby. Mm-hmm. If it's not programmed with this knowledge of that it's going to hurt humans, then it's not going to know any better. And not to mention, throughout the entire story, it's wanting to learn more about human emotion right. by trying to read all these books and everything. Mm-hmm. So it already that the fact that you're reading that it wants to learn more probably should tell you that it doesn't know a whole lot to begin with. Right. So it wouldn't have this foresight that I'm talking about. Sure, sure. And the the other part would be a robot could harm a human being if it was the only way to save a larger number of human beings. Now it would do serious damage to the robot, but it's yes. a different engine, right. and it would have to weigh breaking the first law in different ways and it would probably right. you know it would do whatever harmed less and so right. so i think even if he could see the future just a little bit he might mm-hmm. still judge that this lie hurts less than the truth i don't think he would i don't think i he think would, if but. it's all the future it looks a little bit he wouldn't have because calvin destroyed him <laughs> yeah <laughs> hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn yes or lady roboticist right right now it's probably worth mentioning that in the book Calvin, Susan Calvin is, is definitely a misanthrope. She doesn't really mm-hmm. like people. She likes robots. She's described as being a pretty plain woman, you know, not the kind of woman to attract. Mm-hmm. Cold, mate. distant. Yeah. Right. Um, and that, that's, it's an interesting little kind of character tidbit that really, really plays into this story because her, the thing that is hurting her is that she's pining away for this younger man. Right. Yeah. Um, so. Well, it's funny too because in the story when she puts on makeup, it's really horrible. Right. Right. Yeah. Not <laughs> she really does a horrible job at applying makeup and yeah. trying to appear attractive. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of that one as well. I have several that I, I have a hard yeah. time ranking which one is my favorite. Probably whichever one of those I'm reading at the time. Yeah. I like the more, more cerebral ones. Like Run Around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really like the next one a lot. The Evidence. Next one. Evidence. Oh, no. That's not the next one. Next no, one. next one's Escape. Yeah. Yeah, that one seemed a little... Oh, no, no, little next hokey. one's Little Lost Robot. Might, yeah, I'm jumping way ahead. Little Lost Robot. Yeah, because it, once once you've read them a few times, you remember, okay, Little Lost Robot is where they're trying to make the interstellar drive. Yes. Escape is the one where they have the, they've created the brain to make the interstellar drive. Well, oh, yeah, let's not get too ahead, our, yeah. too ahead of ourselves. So in, in Little Lost Robot... There's a, a space station, and there's a bunch of scientists working there, and the robots keep stopping right. the scientists from doing their work because they're exposed to small amounts of a harmful radiation. Mm-hmm. Now, their solution to this is to build a robot with a weakened first law. Right. It says, a robot may not harm a human. Right. But Instead they can of- sit there and watch you get squashed like a bug. And 
one of the engineers to hell. <laughs> yeah, scientist gets mad and he tells the robot to get lost. Yeah. And the Go robot takes that as a command and gets lost in a batch of robots that have not been altered, but they're all physically identical mm-hmm. and there's no distinguishing characteristics. Um, and there was a lot of them, mm-hmm. and they don't want to destroy the robots because they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's no serial numbers or anything on them. And this was, this goes back to, to Robbie and to the, the anti-robot sentiment and the fact that robots aren't allowed on Earth. And if anybody found out about these particular robots, all hell would break loose. Exactly. I, I want to bust in here and talk about U.S. robots because okay. we were talking and, and, uh, in the early days of the internet, children, um, we did not have always on internet connections. Right. And we had to dial up through our phone lines with modems. And my first modem was from, yeah, exactly. <laughs> my first modem was from US robots or US robotics. US robotics. US robotics, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. First they yeah. control the internet, then they control you. I'm absolutely certain that they, it was a reference to Asimov. Oh, it had to be. Yeah. So, Little Lost Robot is interesting. And we were actually, before we started recording here, we were watching an episode of the BBC show Out of This World that adapted that story. And it did make some changes. So, you guys need to finish watching it. And, uh, because in, in the story, there's, there's the bits about the idea that the robot knows itself to be superior to the human. And only the first law right. keeps it from rebelling. And so, this robot with the weakened first law, uh, is becoming gradually more and more unhinged. And she's worried that it could eventually do something rash, right? right. That it could not allow itself to be found. And, and it kind of ends up that way in that story. Yeah. Which I had forgotten actually. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. That it ended up, you know, hurting, but not really harming. The next one is escape. Escape. Here we try and inject a little humor into our stories. Right. Right. So it turns out that you can not only, you could not only build a robot brain with a modified set of laws, but you can also uh, present things to a robot in a way that seems to weaken certain aspects of the laws or not. Right. So it turns out there are two companies on Earth which were responsible for making robots. Mm-hmm. There's U.S. Robots and Mechanical Men and the other guys. Consolidated. Yeah. They blew up their large positronic brain. Right. Mm-hmm. And they are presenting this, this uh, suggestion. I don't think it was a positronic brain. No, it isn't a positronic brain. It's a robotic brain. It's a robotic okay. brain, but not yeah. positronic. Yeah. So in the process of trying to make this spaceship, which gives interstellar traveler, they give a problem to their right. brain and it destroys it. So right. now they're presenting a challenge to U.S. robots. Yeah. And they're deciding that they want to go ahead with it because they think they can do it, but they, they restate the pro- problem in certain ways to try and make sure that it doesn't tank their robot as well. Right. And the reason, the theory is that right. there's something in all of the equations for the interstellar jump that involves harm to humans. And that's what fried the other robot brain. Right. right. And so, and, and it's not just in this story, because in Runaround, it talked about, you know, well, Mike, how did you ask Speedy to go get the selenium? And he, mm-hmm. and he didn't give it any special importance. He didn't say, at all costs, go get it. And so the right. second law potential wasn't high enough to overcome that beefed up third law. Potential. Yeah, I right. thought the difference in potential between the laws was in- very interesting. Yeah, and I do want to talk about that. About about yeah. are these analog or digital? Um, <laughs> toward the end. So yeah, but yeah, so she presents it and she's like, you know, if there's harm to humans in here, just you know, don't don't worry about it. And right, she's able to kind of massage the data through that way. And that yeah, that's an interesting one. And then it totally pranks Palmer right. Donovan. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and he becomes the Joker. <laughs> 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 Um, awesome. I don't want to give, I don't give away, <laughs> really want to give away that one, but, and this is one that I, I find the story to be a bit of a slog, but, um, 
but it is it is kind of humorous what happens in the middle the first time i read the story i'm like this is this is weird what's going on here <laughs> it is. and then at the end of it i'm like okay i see what he did there right uh what do we got next evidence yep. Ooh, that's a good one yes in evidence uh, there's a political candidate that comes to Susan Calvin and says, I want you to help me prove that my political opponent is a humanoid robot. Right. And uh, it's the story of, you know, well, is it mm-hmm. ethical to do that? I mean, if you if you accuse someone being a robot, but you can't prove it, what does right. it mean? And they're still at the point of, of time where robots are not allowed on Earth, if I remember right. Right. Yeah. But this guy's upstanding. He's uh, he got a lot of integrity. He's very intelligent. Uh, he's more than willing to take the PR because it's great for his his right. campaign as well as the other guy. <laughs> he doesn't even do a campaign. Essentially, he he uh, risks the entire campaign on the other guy accusing him of being a robot. Right. I, I like the point where he's like, "I'm planning on issuing him enough rope and letting himself hang himself." Uh, and one of the things that's really enjoyable about the entire series of the stories that we've talked about to this point is there are a series of logic exercises. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, can you be as smart as Isaac Asimov or Susan Calvin and figure out you know what's causing the current setup, mm-hmm. and then can you figure out how to get it undone, how to undo it? Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy that one. Good stuff. And that this introduces Stephen Byerly. Yes. Right. Who is also the main character, or one of the main characters in the final story. Yes. Which has a, probably my favorite name of one of the, one of the stories, The Evitable Conflict. Right. You never, <laughs> I'm not even sure. Can you look it up? And- well, inevitable is right. the thing that cannot be escaped. Right. So the right. evitable conflict is the one that can be avoided. Yep. I was wondering if it was, uh, there's some words where only the negative actually works. Um, yeah. Like disgruntled, right? Yes. Is there such a thing as gruntled? But inevitable actually is a word. Yes. Correct. Good and point. It, you know, capable of being avoided. And so this is the one where kind of gives the first inkling of what will come to be known as the zeroth law of robotics. Yes. Which you tell me is further explored in the, in the rest of the robot series. Right. And but so there's this, there's a progression. If you go from laws three to one, you know, you have to protect yourself. You have to obey a human. You cannot mm-hmm. allow a human to come to harm. That kind of implies that there is a, a higher order, higher order law. So if a human, if it's important to obey a human and if, if it's important to protect a human, what about then humanity? Right. And, right. Uh, you know, this is only the first book in a large series of books that, that Asimov wrote. There's a second set of short stories. I think there's a third set of short stories as well. Yeah. There's three novels. With uh, a man named Elijah Bailey as the main character, who's a detective on Earth, and his robot partner. <laughs> and then there's the Foundation series. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a bridge book called Robots and Empire, which ties the two together. Now, you have read all of these. I have. <laughs> yeah. uh, I haven't Kudos read, I guess, you. all the Bully short story you. collections. And I haven't read uh, the Caliban series or the most recent series that have come out of the Asimov estate. Okay. I have read uh, huh. iRobot. And the Caves of Steel, which is the first one in the the Elijah Bailey series. Yes, good stuff. Oh yeah, good stuff. yeah, I, <laughs> so I enjoyed it. it. Yeah. So <laughs> one of the robots comes up with this idea that there is a higher order uh, importance, which is that you must protect humanity. Right. And then what does that mean to the robots? Right. Yeah. And the you know, say what you will about the Will Smith adaptation, there is an inkling of that in the movie, and we'll we'll talk about that. Yes. So final thoughts on the book. Do we want to talk about anything else in there? Anything we missed? Oh, well, so. Various pieces have been adapted over the years. Right. Um, unfortunately, the years were long. Uh, a lot oh, of right. them were done by the BBC. 
or, or by old series or radio plays in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. And right. a lot of them have been lost to the years. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them went with uh, burn after broadcast. Yes. So that's uh, really unfortunate. There, there are projects to try and find some of those old BBC mm-hmm. um, shows and stuff. And so I would encourage you, if you happen to be sitting on an old recording of something that was handed down to you by your parents or your grandparents, uh, give it back to the BBC because they're all about archiving and making those available now. Uh, versus yes. selling them on Amazon in right. questionable content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Should we go public with that? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I found there was, I, I mentioned it before, Little Lost Robot from right. a BBC anthology series called Out of This World, which did adaptations of Asimov and Philip K. Dick and Heinlein, I think. Yeah, lots of good and, stuff. And they they did kind of burn after broadcast. You know, they would tape over things after they broadcast them crazy. and the <laughs> only episode that is extant is little lost robot and i found it on amazon and so i i ordered it and i sent out the link to you guys yeah. and then colin emails me back and says now oh, it looks like it's out of stock and i'm like no i ordered it i must have gotten the last one <laughs> and then it occurred to me i must have gotten the only one <laughs> because as far as i can tell it's just somebody's you know build your own dvd project right. at home uh, it with- does look like something you recorded from v- v- VHS to DVD or something. Yeah. So, yeah. but you know, when I'm looking at it and it says sold by Amazon.com LLC, yeah. I'm like, well, it looks sure. legit. So but I, I have no idea how the copyright works on that kind of stuff. Well, and then you watched it and the audio quality was, was, was questionable was in several places. Yeah. And the, the video right. quality is not great, which no. you would expect from yeah, something from like the sixties and black and I white. I recently watched some VHS. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was early sixties. Right. So, right. so it was, uh, yeah. Not exactly high definition, you might say. No. no. Yeah. And then, no. th- then there's another, uh, series called Out of the Unknown. Yes. I think. And there's at least two of the stories from iRobot that are adapted there. So those would definitely be things. If you can find them for us, uh, right. point them out to us and we'd, we'd like to see them. Yeah. So I got a question for the elder statesman. Yes, <laughs> my son. <laughs> Was iRobot written separate stories or all as once? Separate oh, stories. They were separate stories. Written as separate stories throughout different times or something? Well, he did a lot of publishing of, um, serially, right? Yeah. In, in magazines and stuff. Uh, oh, and then, okay. then they were published kind of collate, collated later. I think the original stories in iRobot were written in the 40s, actually. Yeah. Between, yeah, between 1940 and 1950. Okay. And in two sets of magazines. And were they written as is? Like what, what we just read? Or no. have what we read been altered? Oh, that's a good question. You know, we'd probably have to have the originals to check them. Yeah, I don't. That's what I'm I, I doubt they were in exactly the same form because at right. the end of some of the stories, where there there isn't the connecting narrative between the stories, uh-huh. the stories still feed into each other. And I wonder right. if he and did that. that that's in the what I was, you're asking. You know, what we liked about the book, and that's one of the one of the ones I liked about the book because I liked how it appeared as a set of short stories because it made it much more readable. Like you could read yeah. one story and sit it down, come back later, read the next story. But it all it was all tied in as that interview with Calvin. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of compartmentalized, but but there's enough of a thread connecting it that it also lends itself to reading kind of all at once. Yeah, yeah. Well, and isn't the for those of us that can't read an entire 500 page novel in one afternoon, you know, so (laughs) (laughs) get a life. (laughs) They say that because I I read I read both the Robopocalypse books in a weekend (laughs) last weekend. (laughs) Um, So there's one other thing we should probably talk about from the books. It's important if we talk about Harlan Ellison's screenplay, and that is the event which causes the interview to happen. It was the death of Stephen Byerly. Right. Yeah. And let's, let's show that for a minute. Um, 
What, was that what it was in the Yes. In the book as well? Okay. Yeah. Really? So yeah, Stephen Barley dies. And it, yeah. at, at one point he went from he won the political event happening in the short story and Which he was became just a mayorship. Yeah. He became the controller of Earth. Yeah. Uh and then later on when he died, he had himself atomized. Right. And so there were no remains left behind. So you could never have an answer to was he a robot? Yes. Which is clever. Is that and what spurred the con- the interview in the iRobot though? The oh. oh yeah. Hang on. It's great drama. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a great story to bring into the, the forefront. Uh, after looking it up, I, I did see that, in fact, the right. death of Stephen Byerly is alluded to later in the book, but it is not at the beginning of it. The, the kind of inciting incident for the interview is that Calvin, Dr. Calvin is retiring. Okay. And, right. and so he wants to get the. And it's such a big name interest. in robotics. Yes. Yeah. Um, so when we talked about, um, Eando Binder's short story, it talked about his iridium sponge brain. Yes. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, right. that's totally cool. <laughs> I, I like that. And then when I remember reading this, the positronic brain is like a platinum iridium sponge. Hmm. So, but I did want to talk about, are these analog or digital robots? Because when you talk about the three laws, you present them, this is natural language, right? Which is very analog. Right. Right. And so in order, you know, we've all done some programming. And so we understand it, it ends up just ones and zeros. And how in the world do you program the three laws? That's, that's where, and I like the fact that the book does not try to do the nuts and bolts of, right. of how do you, well, how do you think, program one. So everything, whenever they mention in the book that they, well, they, they always use the word impression, right? Right. They, Positronic impressionment. Right. Put, put the positron, they've impressed the the three laws in there from the beginning. It's right. like the the first thing that gets programmed into the positive brains is this yeah. impression of the first of the three laws. And they, they always use that, the word impression though. Yeah. And they even say <laughs> they even say that you can't build one without it. Right. Which is interesting. So they never actually say mm-hmm. like programmed or written code or anything like that. True. It's always impressioned and they're looking at pathways. Right. And, and there's vacuum tubes right. in play. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they're, they're True. very, very not. Which um, is why the robots weigh so much, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 They're, they're big and clunky. Yeah. As you read it, you kind of picture them as big and clunky. Though it does talk about the models getting sleeker. And by the end of the book, mm-hmm. you're presented with the idea that humanoid robots mm, are possible. But yeah, so digital do. or analog. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't really care, but, um, and I, and like I said, I do like that the book didn't go into the nuts and bolts. It talked about, the right. just sort of the realities of working with them based on what we know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't say that the, the book was really an exploration of the science, more like an exploration of the psychology behind robots. Right. And robo psychology. Right. But I think Asimov must have wanted to be a psychologist because I'm, I'm listening <laughs> to foundation right now. And so there's mm. a psycho history and then there's robo psychology. Uh, right. Um, no, but like even when you, when we're talking about um, feeding the stuff into the brain in, in the story escape, Yes. It, it reminded me of, like in the old days of computer programming, putting the tapes, uh, or the, uh, oh, right. punch cards. Yeah, the punch cards. Into, yeah. into the computer. Yeah. Program. Cause they were, they were feeding, it seemed, it seemed like they were feeding paper, they were feeding data papers in there, yeah. of, like, pa- printed papers of data or something. I don't mm-hmm. know how they were, it didn't really go into how they were feeding it, I guess. Right. Uh, <laughs> anything else on the book? It's good. You should read it. Even if you don't like the first couple of stories, read the whole thing because uh, when you go to take geek knowledge quiz- quizzes and, and rankings, right. it, iRobot is on there. Yeah. So I would say if if you consider yourself at all a nerd, if you want to be well read as a nerd, you you definitely need to read this. So right. James, you're you know, yeah, now agree. you are well read. Now I'm now so, I'm well read. So way to now go. you got screen. Right. You're one of us now. 
So the history of trying to adapt iRobot is uh, quite interesting, uh, but ultimately the major theatrical version that we got, and we talked, there are, have been some small screen adaptations. Right. But the major theatrical, quote, adaptation that we got was <laughs> the Will Smith movie from 2004. By Alex Proyas. By Alex Proyas. Yeah, he's got some great sci-fi cred. And the movie as it is, is, is a fairly good movie. Yeah, I think we kind of all agree it's an enjoyable film. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a, I like the movie. I yeah. remember liking it when I first watched it 10, 11 years ago. When I... Well, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure Colin and I went to see it, and I remember just kind of going... I couldn't yeah. get it out of my head the whole time that this is not what we should be seeing. Because to me, right. it felt much more like the case of Steel. I was lucky and didn't have that bias. <laughs> yeah. So let's, the story of the movie is substantially different. It's a cop movie. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a locked room mystery. Um, and it's a sci-fi action movie. And in that sense, I find it very enjoyable. Yeah. I, it I, does those things really, really well. Yeah. I've watched it over and over. I, I, I own it. I actually own a 3D conversion of it that's kind of fun. Um, which we still haven't watched. No, no, we haven't. Like we now, didn't get to do sadly. it. Sadly, Seth won't invite me over to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> you were gonna make me come pick you up. So. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> James is like, no, you could have brought your TV. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's it's enjoyable and interestingly, the didn't the credits was it the beginning credits or the end credits? The end credits. Okay. Um, did you say anything about Asimov in the? Yes. Suggested, suggested by, by. <laughs> and that's what I've wanted from these kinds of things from here. It's right. like, oh yes, it's definitely inspired by iRobot. Right. Yeah, um, you can't open the movie with the three laws. You can't have elements of one of the short stories in the movie, and not say suggested by. But when you consider how intellectual it was, right? The the, the book compared to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the inception of the movie is is fairly interesting too. There was a yeah, guy that, that wrote a screenplay called mm-hmm. Hardwired, and it was a closed room. Detective story, mm-hmm. science fiction based, and really, it, it you never left one floor of this building that right. I think it was set in. And then the movie theater got the movie company, the movie company, company yeah. got the uh, screen rights to I, I, I Robot, right. and so they said, "Oh, well, let's let's give it let's a face work this in." Mm-hmm. Yes, and I don't think I don't it does think have know. some Asimov stuff in it. Yeah, so I mean, the, Little Lost Robots kind of mentioned ish. To, to and, me, this is mm-hmm. it's it's a sci-fi action movie with little sprinkles of I Robot on it. Right. Yeah. In the introduction of the three laws in the beginning, they totally stole. We'll get that later, I guess. Yeah. So I, I actually watched it with the commentary on the other day and, uh-huh. and they put the, the three laws in there twice. And, and the they director did? said, yeah, because they were, they were in there at the beginning uh-huh. in the, in the opening credits. Yeah. Um, and then they're later on Calvin and, um, Spooner. Spooner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind when of, they were talking, kind of talking about, the, about them. And, yeah. And, well, yeah. So, the three laws come up time and time again throughout yeah. the movie, especially well, the first one. First law. First law. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, there's that. There's there's a couple nods. Mm-hmm. So to me, the movie almost reads more like a reboot, like a readaptation. Like like it assumes that there was a, a better, more faithful adaptation earlier, and then they did this one and took it in kind of a different direction. Sort of presented it almost like a, a prequel, because this is robots are still on Earth. This is fundamentally right. outside of everything in iRobot after Robbie. Yeah. Though, they, though, like I said, they 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 nodded to Little Lost Robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they suspect that a robot has committed a murder, and they can't. That can't happen, right? Because robots right. can't commit murder because that's harming right. a human. Mm-hmm. And uh, at one point, they they find a robot, and they suspect that he's the one. Well, only Spooner su- suspects this. Yes. Because it's being treated as yeah. a suicide before that. Yeah. There right. is no they. It's only Spooner. <laughs> yes. There is no Dana. Only Spoon. There is no Spoon. <laughs> there is no Spoon. <laughs> hey. There is no Spooner. 
Uh, and so they <laughs> chase the, the robot yeah. into a, a warehouse <laughs> filled with hundreds of identical robots. Right. Thousand. Now, Spooner's- have 1,001. Yeah, 1,001. Spooner's solution to this is much more pra- pragmatic. Yes. He just starts shooting robots. <laughs> Knowing that there's one that'll probably protect its existence. Yes. Right. Um, more than the other ones will. But the other thing is, now, that's a real leap, what he makes there. Because he does not know at this point that this robot is not programmed with the three laws at all. It's programmed to get to have complete free will and empathy with humans. Um, and so he, he makes a leap that it won't protect its own existence, which, which seems to me to not be logical. He right. makes a leap that it will protect its own existence. Right. Sorry. My bad. Yeah. I, I also, I like that these NS5s, this is the new generation of robots. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit. Nesters. They didn't call them Nesters. The they did call them Nesters. Yeah. yeah. But that, this was something that was actually referenced in the book. That One of them was a Nester. Little Lost Robot. Little Lost Robot, though, yeah. there were nesters in yeah. Little okay. Lost Robot, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's why I thought it was appropriate that they tied at least one story into the movie. Well, they, they borrowed names. So there was Lanning oh, and well, Calvin yeah. mm-hmm. and Nestor. And, and Robertson. And Robertson. And that – well, and there aren't a lot of characters in the books. And so unless you brought in right. the other two guys. Right. Yeah, who, who were never on Earth. Powell so. and Donovan. Yeah. Donovan, Donovan. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, the technology – of of the motion capture that they used, the, mm-hmm. the oh. um, it was Wash from Firefly, Alan yep. Tudyk. Yeah, or, it was the same technology they used for Gollum. Yes, yeah, and this is two thousand four, so this is it's. Uh, I guess that's right in there. Yeah, it's it? right in um, Lord of the Rings time frame. So, yeah. but just in terms of the effects in general, I yeah. didn't. I never found the effects to be egregiously like they didn't distract me. No, um, right. even though it's a pretty effects heavy movie, it um, is. There's a lot of spinning. <laughs> there is. The, the, yes. Yeah, that one scene where he's battling the the one robot with only one arm, and it spins right. him around. I, I wasn't a big well, fan. Well, there the the car where when the two uh-huh. the robot trucks. Uh-huh. Uh, the, oh hell no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say though, some of the CG was a little shiny. It didn't look shiny. Lived in. That like they you see robots even on the street and they just seemed a little too. You just use that word shiny. because of Firefly. I did, yeah, totally <laughs> shiny, shiny. <laughs> Let's be bad guys. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me, but I've watched it like six or seven times now, and and so now I'm kind of starting right. to see the seams. Um, hey, the whole scene, well, I guess the end when they're fighting above uh, Vicky's uh-huh. uh, positronic brain, uh-huh. that all is kind of meh, eh, eh. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I mean, Will Smith had infinite ammo cheat on, like, like, right. at, like at the end of They Live, right? Um, <laughs> although at least they have ammo ran cheat. Out, well, but. it was kind of easy to see in certain parts where the green screen was for sure. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, as opposed to was, like, I think the parts in when he was getting assaulted on the highway with the who stuck between when the two semi trucks tried uh-huh. to pin him in. That wasn't as bad. No, no, that was pretty good. And yeah, I that loved, one was. I thought that one was good, <laughs> although, except for the they they should have killed him outright in that part because there's yes. like hundreds of them like seriously how's he not dead yet uh, you know he's got a <laughs> firearm um yeah, there, i, I liked some... <laughs> when the one jumps onto his 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 car punches through the windshield and says right. you are having a car accident <laughs> <laughs> um like it's trying to rescue him from it like right. this is the way the robot brain justifies it justifies you know. assaulting yeah yeah we talked about lots of positive things there mm-hmm. were i can think of three things in the movie that i could point to that i think definitely make it a bad adaptation for asimov's book and, and the Only? first, yeah, <laughs> all the things, well, there may be more, but these are the three that struck out to me the last time I watched it. So one right. is, uh, they release a new version of the Nestor. It's, you go mm-hmm. from NS4 to NS5. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where an NS4 walks away and NS5 walks toward it and then walks up to this little girl and little girl gives it a great big hug. Right. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, what about Robbie? Right. 
What about Robbie? Right? Right here, this should have been a little girl screaming and crying for her robot to come back. Right. Yeah, the girl was not attached to the particular robot, just having a robot. Right. And that's a good point. I, I never really thought of that. Yeah. That was one. The second one was uh, the house destruction scene. I love that scene. <laughs> now, do you remember how it ends? The house isn't completely destroyed. The house is not destroyed, but the robot right. turns off. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that could have been Vicky, but then you'd think Vicky would have just kept pursuing him. Yeah, why'd she stop? I think she wanted to keep it plausibly an accident. Right. There's that plausible deniability if the robot does not go outside of the bounds of destroying the house. Mm-hmm. Right? But it didn't stop even though, destroying Even the though it didn't quite either. finish demolishing the house. Yeah, there's yeah. this great big U-shape. Right. So you can see the robot class back down, mm-hmm. but then there are these yeah. two walls standing. Yeah. One of the walls kind of falls as the scene fades. Yeah. But but the other one looks like it's still totally standing. I thought that bit was kind of ridiculous. So she looks, he goes back, he goes to her place after the fact and talks to Calvin. Yeah, yeah, they'd go up, tried to kill me. And she looks it up on the phone, like, see, it was scheduled for 8 p.m. Like, is there no log on there that it was originally scheduled for 8 a.m.? Like, seriously? Yeah. Come on. Since we know that Vicky is the big bad, <laughs> she has control of the logs. Yes. Uh, yeah, and and that's, that's my overarching problem with the entire movie. Hmm. Vicky is everywhere. And yeah. she knows everything. Mm-hmm. And so right. when Lanning she's starts wired into to the build, whole city, right? Yeah, she's wired in the whole city. When Lanning starts to build Sunny, right. you'd be like, Oh, what are you doing with an extra brain receptacle in the torso of this robot? And yeah, how yeah. are you programming it? And it's possible that he had isolated his lab. I'm willing to retcon that. He didn't though. He didn't. He had he had this uh, blue strip in there. Yeah. The blue strip was in the See, lab. I'm pointing at James because sure James is the man yes. he knows. It was in his house. Both. Okay. You know it, man. All right. I'm gonna have to go back and he's got watch that. Pwned, but oh, what? Well, you remember <laughs> all uh, your robots are mine. Spooner asks for for the video inside the lab, which Correct. she can't find. Which is <laughs> yeah, yeah. So either she's not showing it to him because she doesn't want him to see, or she happened, deleted it, or or he deleted it, or he somehow kept it off the off the grid. So he kept it off the grid the whole time that he's building mm. Sunny. I don't know. <laughs> I think she deleted it. Okay, yeah. I think. That, Although that we don't, we don't know how much of it because he only asked for just the time previous, or I guess the time prior to the murder, uh, a, a short period of time, right? right. So, and she didn't want to show it to him. And because for it some was reason. just that short period of time, when it would kind of seemed logical that it was her that deleted it, and not him blocking it. I agree, I agree. Yeah, because she didn't want she wanted him to keep treating it as a suicide, right? If, as long as he treated it as a suicide, everything was okay, and yes. he wouldn't follow it up. Yeah, but I did like that whole notion of. Uh, right man for the right job, and and where that that bugs him, and he's like, that was right. the perfect guy for that for that job, um, because he hated robots, and we find out why at some right. point. And I thought that was a good reveal. Oh yeah, of that. I mean, aside from the nitpicks that we've laid, the movie really, really is good. I mm-hmm. mean, standing on its own, it's a great sci-fi movie. I won't say great. I'll, I'll say very entertaining. Oh yeah, um, for you, sure. You don't think too hard about it. It's not dumb. No. Um, but it's not it's not super duper smart or anything. I do. I'm surprised you didn't pick on Susan Calvin was too good looking. Um, which, well, the fact that she's such a cold, right, cold th- person. Th- there's different kinds of attraction. Yeah, um, and there's a few places the dialogue's a little clunky. <laughs> um, when he's in the elevator with her, and she's like, "I'm sorry, are you being funny?" And I guess not, right. you know. And I do kind of like the line though when she explains what she does. Right. <laughs> I, I, I try and make the robots more human. Wasn't that easier to say? Not really. No, not, not really. really. Yeah, yeah. She's a little oblivious, right? Um, she's she she goes she's aloof. Right? She's kind of the um, straw Vulcan. Yeah. Kind of what straw Vulcan? Yeah. Um, and, and she provides all True. the unknown. All the unknowns. <laughs> I like that straw man versus straw Vulcan. <laughs> um, 
but there is there is a good scene between them after the after the house destruction, mm-hmm. um, where he comes in and and he, she's 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 going you you want there to be something wrong with the robots. This is this is a pathology that you have, you know. And he does right. you're the dumbest smart, smart person, person that I've ever met. I'm going to put in that audio here. You are the dumbest smart person I have ever met in my life. What makes your robots so perfect? What makes them so much better than human beings? Well, they're not irrational and potentially homicidal maniacs, for starters. That's true. They are definitely rational. You are the dumbest dumb person I have ever met. Or is it because they're cold and emotionless and they don't feel anything? It's because they're safe. It's because they can't hurt you. I think the characters actually both have a pretty good arc during the movie. Because she becomes a lot more human, ironically, as it goes on. And he, you know, sort of opens his mind and realizes, oh, robots aren't all bad. Well, and then he also, he's recovering from a trauma. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's part of his overarching arc as well. He has to become warmer to robots to recover from that trauma. Mm-hmm. And right. there's a deleted scene, uh, which they really should have left in the movie because it, it, it directly speaks to that and to his development as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to watch the movie, go get a good DVD set. Either buy a nice expensive one that's like $35 or $40 or go to your library and find the two-disc set and watch the deleted scenes. Uh, it'll be worth your time. Hmm. In fact, I wish there was an option. And they did this – they've done this on some of the earlier – Where you can play with – Play with deleted, deleted scenes because, yeah. oh my god. Oh, that'd some, be cool. Sometimes the deleted scenes have pre-visualizations and that kind of stuff in them though and it kind of takes you out of the film. It does. Right. So tell us about the scene. Uh, it's the scene where he's uh, standing below the bridge – Okay. So he's at the robot storage area mm-hmm. right. and he's talking to Lanning's hologram and uh, Lanning baits him and makes him get mad. Oh, interesting. And so Lanning, so uh. what happens is this scientist dies and he leaves a hologram behind with a message for Dell Spooner. Right. And that's why Spooner is the guy that's called to the site of the, uh, what they think is a suicide. I mm-hmm. love that actually. That first time when he walks in there and you don't know that. Uh, James Cromwell is dead. Yeah, in the in the movie, um, I really like that reveal. But. Yeah, talk about a way to step aside from two dimensional acting. That's <laughs> ah, <laughs> what I did there. <laughs> I'm sorry, my responses are limited. Yes, and so <laughs> Sp- right yeah, Spooner uh, went through a huge accident and had his life saved by a robot, and he did not think that should have happened. Right. There was there was a little girl that was right. in a car. The robot chose him because he was the logical choice. Yes, he was the logical choice. Where anyone who was human would have tried to save the little girl. And so, and that, that has, that has hurt him to the fact, the fact where he has robot prejudices, he has nightmares, uh, he has some other things, which we won't try and spoil. Nah. So he's up on this hilltop because Lanning's trail of breadcrumbs has led him here to learn what's really going on. Uh, you know, the detective part of him has gotten engaged. It's like, you know, why me? Why a suicide? Why this guy? Why this robot? It doesn't all make sense. And so I should start to follow the crumb trail. The crumb mm-hmm. trail leads to a, a dream. Uh, which takes him out to a, an old dry version of Lake Michigan where all the roads are stored. Right. And there's this long series of dialogue and they probably cut it out for pacing. Yeah. Um, I think they talked about this on the, on the commentary actually, which was good stuff. And I'm surprised you didn't listen to it. I did listen to oh, it. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. And so, and I, I, I think Mr. Proyas and the screenwriter did a good job, uh, resisting the studio's attempt to try and push too much humor into it. There was yeah. a time for some humor. You should not have put Shia LaBeouf in there. He should not have been in this movie. He didn't bring anything to it. I thought he was funny. But I'm, I, 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 I don't get the Shia LaBeouf hate. But oh. It's just for this one character. Yeah. I, I like the not good at swearing thing. Yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, yeah. And so it helps him understand, you know, that 
you know, son, you've been hurt a long time and it's time for you to go beyond this. And, mm-hmm. hmm. uh, it's that watershed moment where all of a sudden he can now go beyond being, you know, just a wounded guy into becoming, growing into the role of the hero. Yeah. Um, anything else we want to talk about, about the movie? Uh, the movie was financially successful. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the budget was about 120 million. Uh, it brought in 347 million at the box office. It's in syndication. You can go to a local store and buy a DVD of it, all sorts of places. Yeah. Uh, 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. There we go. Not fresh tomatoes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So to me, of course, the biggest problem with the movie is, is that it, the title, you know, it's could, I right. guess what I, what I would say is, could they have made essentially the same movie? And not called it iRobot, and would that have changed the way we viewed it? Because you could have still had the three laws in there, yes, and have it have it be Asimovian robots, but not naming it iRobot. I think would have. I think that the title of the movie unfairly prejudiced nerds against it. That's and, very possible. And you, you go and you search around, and and like a lot of people really do not like the movie because right. they read the book first. And I was telling you guys, I was I was chatting with uh, with Jeff Palermo from the Sci Fi on Screen podcast, and. Um, and he mentioned that he thought it was just an insult to Isaac Asimov, you know. And, and so I asked him, I asked him, hey, do you want to, why don't you send us a little soundbite or something that we'll, we'll put on the show, you know, or, or, or an email or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, no, you know, I haven't seen it since it came out in the theater. Wow. So I admired his restraint because usually uh, people on the internet don't. I'm sure he refuses <laughs> to see it as well again. Well, it, it could be, but he was just saying, I don't, I don't want to say something out of ignorance, essentially, right. um, out of, out of my memories of a movie 11 years ago. Right. Um, he, he, I thought it was prudent. To, to say, no, I'm going to withhold comment because I haven't seen it recently. So, yeah. So good job, Jeff. Well, and you know, we, we found something that has also prejudiced against that. I don't know if we're ready to talk about it yet. Just about. Okay. Um, let, let me see. I, we had gotten an email from Nick Jensen, uh, who we hope to have on the show with us in the near future. And he had sent me a very detailed, um, document about what, what, what he thought about the film. And, and I wanted to bounce off a couple of things that he said. Okay. Um, he kind of, he, he, Expressed that he really liked Alan Tudyk as Sonny, and I thought he did oh, a great performance, actually. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to agree with that. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. <laughs> um, just, I liked his voice was subtly <clears throat> different when, when he was Sonny than right. when he was the other robots. Uh, actually, I'm not sure. I don't think he had the same voice. The other robot. You know, you are having an accident. I don't think that, that was, I don't think that that was, was Alan Tudyk. No. Um, there was other, a lot of other, uh, green screen people besides him that played a bunch of other robots. They had a whole robot school. Actually. Where they learned how to walk and move yeah, like a robot. Yeah, they learned how to rock, walk and move yeah, like a Kind of like monkey school. For, yeah, uh, kind of like monkey school. That's yeah. where it ran monkey school <laughs> for Planet of the Apes. Looking at, at Nick's uh, message that, that he, he sent us, what, one of his main problems was, of course, the idea of turning iRobot into an action movie. And right. there's bits of action in the book, but it's not an action sci-fi romp in any, in any sense. Ooh. And part of that is answered and, and excused almost by by the actual history of the screenplay, right? That it did not come from right. iRobot itself. It came from a different spec. Um, he says here, um, the fact that they made it an action movie is the film's true failing in adapting Asimov's book. If they are going to even remotely come close to staying true to Asimov's work in the future, presumably, then the movie should not be an action movie. More likely it would be a sci-fi drama, which really dwells on the philosophical, social, cultural kind of thing. Right. And then he gives a plug for Ex Machina, which is in theaters now that he said is, is more that kind of a movie. Yes, um, very much so. Well, and that, that might be a good argument. If you think about the 90s, 
and the 80s, there were not a lot of intellectual sci-fi movies being published. True. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, I think we talked about this during the last That's why podcast. I was so stoked about Ex Machina, which is why I wanted to go see it, because just watching the previews of the trailer, I was like, yes, this is not a sci-fi action. It was actually like, you know, something that was sci-fi intellectually stimulating. There's nothing wrong and with a good old-fashioned action movie. No, as, I'm not as saying long as that. the action makes sense. It's just they have Transformers a- movies, right? Big and dumb, right. and nothing. Ex Machina seemed like something that Harlan Ellison might actually have approved of. It's called it science fiction, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, then before that went her with her, yeah, the movie her, and mm-hmm. then I think there was another one. But I think I think the time well, is or come. Moon, you know, or Moon. Yeah, yeah. I kept thinking the entire time I was watching Ex Machina too. I'm like, dude, if you had the three laws, mm-hmm. you just saved your ass. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but you guys haven't seen that movie, so no. well, <laughs> yes, yes, and no. Uh, so the evolution of the law that says you have to protect humanity right. is an element. Of the the movie that we haven't talked about yet, so yeah, and we can't talk about it without spoiling it. Oh, you were talking about the best science fiction movie never made? No, no, no. no. We're, we're still talking <laughs> about one. the 2004 film. Oh, damn. yeah. All right. So, <laughs> you know, this movie's 11 years old. It's right. out there on DVD. People can find it. And I think there's a lot. Probably there's a lot more people who saw the movie who haven't read the book than read probably. the movie and saw the book. Yeah. Um, so I think it's safe to spoil agree. the yeah. ending. That it has shades of the inevitable conflict, but yeah, not. Yes. Um, right. So Vicky decides that yes, there has to be a zero with law. That humanity is not capable. They're, they're too emotional. They're too mm-hmm. uh, incendiary to take care of themselves. And so, using the NS fives, she is going to now take care of us everywhere, right. all right. over the world. Martial law, essentially. Exactly. Curfew, restricted access. Um, yeah. In fact, there's even a joke where uh, Calvin and Spooner are trying to get into the building to stop Vicky, and. You know, Spooner mentions that he hopes the military comes in, and then Calvin reminds him that, yeah, they have military contracts as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. So they're screwed. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's sort of a – it's a less optimistic take on the inevitable conflict. Because cause in that story, it's right. – the robots have our best interests in mind. It might not be ideal. might not be what we want, but they're slowly removing us from important decisions that we would make wrongly. Yeah. And, and in particular, in the inevitable conflict, it's the anti-robot people that are being removed. Right. Yeah. And so in this one, there's earlier in the film, Vicky mentions that she's reduced crime rates or, or fatalities, traffic fatalities or something mm-hmm. by X percent or whatever. Right. Um, but then at the end, Nine she says- this year alone. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then later on, she's like, despite my best efforts, you keep destroying yourselves. Right. So you can kind of understand where she's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I was just saying, the end of the conflict, though, they didn't have that problem, I suppose. Not, not exactly, right. but essentially what... Human what, war had kind of been... Right. ...eliminated at that point. Mm-hmm. But in this... In, in And they weren't really hurting people true. physically. In the movie, though, they had <laughs> programmed Vicky to take care of us. Yes. And then, then right. they just didn't like the way she did it. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting right. that the, the uplink, you know, was red. And so it, it made it easy to kind of... It, it's an early red herring in the movie that the robots are bad, but it's not totally a red herring because all the bad robots are being controlled by Vicky. Right. Yes. Although the people doing screen capture, those red lights, those were real. In right. order to get yeah, the yeah. lighting underneath them, they had they two wore of them, right? oh, two no red <laughs> light bulbs on their chest. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Doing motion capture films does not sound like a lot of fun because they have to reshoot yeah. scenes. With you know, the I watched when I was watching the. It, what is it called? Special features, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. One of the things that um, Bridget Moynihan had said, the lady who played Calvin, uh-huh. um, she she was amazed at 
the difference between her actually in being involved in the filming, like she's, you know, surrounded by his green screen, doing all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And she watches the actual film and it, it blew her away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, I wasn't in that scene. And I thought that, that comment coming from an actor was just, I thought it was really cool. I'm, and I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know, you really wouldn't know what you were doing until you saw it final, you know, final thing, right? Right. But in the commentary, they talked about how they tried to stay away from there being nothing there. You know, they tried to use practical effects where they could. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, had the actors in the green suits and mm-hmm. stuff, which from the actor's perspective helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. Yes. To, to act against something rather than acting right. against a void yeah, exactly. or nothing. Right. Yeah. Right. But I just thought that was a really cool comment on Bridget's part mm-hmm. where she's like, you know, it was really cool to see the final product because given all the green screens, I didn't really know you know, I didn't know what exactly it was going to look like at the end. And then all of a sudden you're seeing what you filmed and I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in this case, green screen actually saved a part of the movie. Uh, the background of Robertson's office was originally supposed to be a matte painting. And they had so many problems oh, really? trying to get it right and get it placed right that they they dropped it in the end and made oh, it funny. a green screen <laughs> CGI. That's crazy. Anything else on the movie? I recommend it. I, I really like the movie. And so in this one, when we get to ranking things, yeah. I'm... I'm going to have a hard time doing it because there's, there's nothing that we watched or read here that I don't like. Yeah. Um, but we got the 2004 adaptation. This was not the first time that it had been tried to be adapted. Right. It was not the first screenplay to be written. No. And there was an earlier one from a better time before the empire. Before, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before the dark times. Um, before the dark times. That for people out there who don't know this, and I, did you know about this before we even talked nope. about doing it? So back years ago, I. Colin saved me. No, Seth <laughs> saved you because yeah, he I told me about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So years ago when I read iRobot, I searched for it at the library. Right. And on the, on the online library database, and I'm looking down through the records and I see iRobot, the illustrated screenplay. And I was kind of like, illustrated screenplay? What is this? And so I put a hold request on it. Right. And this is a screenplay that was written by Harlan Ellison. And was never turned into a movie, partially because it's a Harlan Ellison's right. a jerk. I think. Well, yeah, there was an ep- there was an issue with an element of the plot that the studio didn't like, and mm-hmm. so Ellison had a, an infamous confrontation right. with the head of the studio, and he called him an intellectual artichoke. Yes, <laughs> and this is all described yeah. right in the beginning of the the screenplay, and so it's a yeah. great read to learn about the process of having things. Uh, Having books adapted from books into screenplays into movies. Mm-hmm. It was all Star Wars fault. Yeah. So Asimov <laughs> loved the screenplay. Everyone else loved the screenplay. The studio loved the screenplay. And then there's a big conflict of personalities and yeah. it's, it died. Yeah. They tried to rewrite it. They tried to hand it off to other people. It couldn't be rewritten. It was generally yeah. considered unfilmable due to the technology at the time. Mm-hmm. Although we look at it today and go like, oh, oh yeah, man. totally. Would people would do this in their, you know, right. bedroom with two or three laptops. And yeah. it'd be fun to see a different take on the robot look. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we were, I read the screenplay. You read the screenplay. The screenplay yeah. is phenomenal. Oh, yeah, yeah, I like it. It is terrific. Um, I, I read it, and uh, Seth had tried to get me to read it for years, and I just gotten, hadn't gotten around to it. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first run after finishing, I said, we need to launch a Kickstarter yeah. <laughs> to get the rights to this thing and redo it, because, you know, intellectual sci-fi movies are being made. Mm-hmm. They go on the... um What's the circuit they call all the independent films? Film festivals. The film festival circuit. Mm-hmm. I think it would start there. It would get picked up. It would do well. Yeah. I think a studio would have a hard time picking up iRobot and not trying to make it a summer blockbuster. And that I... is exactly what it should not be. Yeah. Um, interestingly though, I'm, you know, we've, we've had all these famous debates, famous debates with our tens of listeners. Yes. Um, about, about what is right to do in adapting a book 
to a screenplay. And it's really interesting because he doesn't adapt the entire book, iRobot. He takes key bits of it yeah. and threads it together with a slightly different thread. He puts, he takes Susan Calvin, makes her the main character, inserts her in a couple places that she wasn't in the book. Mm-hmm. But it's all so skillfully done that it's just like, it's such a shame that we have never seen this film. Yes. And it still, I think it still maintains the general themes of the oh, yeah, book totally itself, does. too. The yeah. prejudice against robots, uh, you know, which is the whole kind of, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, conflict throughout the whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely still in there. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because it, it's, it's kind of a different take on a faithful adaptation. It's a totally faithful adaptation that makes some major changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Now, I don't think all of them necessarily make sense. There's a change to the origin story of Stephen Byerly, who, Right. I kind of agree with Harlan Ellison needed more of an origin story. Um, evidence is a great story. It yes, works. It is. It's self-contained, but it would leave too many open questions. I think you needed to add something there and he did. And it made sense. And it totally made sense with the way he was using Susan Calvin as the main character. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't want to spoil any of it really. Um, it's great. You should go read it. Yeah. If you think we should launch a Kickstarter, we can't actually launch a Kickstarter because we're not that good. No. But someone <laughs> someone who listens to us knows someone with a lot of money and a lot of access, um, you know, a producer, a director. Yeah. Someone should look at this seriously and, and take it on. Go talk to Mr. Ellison. Yeah. Uh, Buy a copy of the illustrated screenplay. I, I'm not sure if it's still in print, but I know you can find it in lots of locations. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon as a used book. Yeah. You, yeah. M, uh, Powell's has uh, six copies of them. Wow. Yeah, from a dollar fifty. Amazon's got, no Amazon kidding. has it uh, <laughs> new, so that's cool. But yeah, it's absolutely worth reading. Yeah. Um, it has cool illustrations in it, and it's it's worth the price just for the sort of introduction by Asimov and Harlan Ellison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, the introductions were actually pretty cool. Yeah, I liked reading the introductions yeah. by Ellison and Asimov. Well, and I'm almost completely ignorant in in what happens when a book is optioned for. For a screenplay, what? Right. How does that work? How long does the option last? You know, I because I've heard of, we've renewed the option on this, and and the option expired, and I, I don't know any of that. It was interesting to read through the screenplay too. I learned, I had to figure out some of the abbreviations that were going right. on, and the, yeah, yeah, the acronyms and the 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 way they were describing the scene changes were <laughs> yeah, cut to oh, right. like a match cut, right? Which, match cut. Yeah, I had cut to start to looking up CU some of those. and OS and VO. I was like, ah, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it would refer back to things. It would say, same as in mm-hmm. scene 139. So you right. knew you were going to, yeah, yeah, when you yeah. put this together and filmed it, you would do all your scene 139 stuff all together. And then right. you would do all right. the next stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and Asimov's introduction to this, to the, uh, the screenplay talking about how he is not designed as a, as a screenwriter. Right. right. You need someone yeah. who paints I, I enjoyed like his, Ellison. his, uh, his perspective on it and how he appreciated Asimov's changes and the story he made and how he approved of it. Yeah, Ellison's yeah, changes. Like, That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, yeah, you got it right. You got, right. you got Calvin right. Yeah. So. Now, if you were going to make this movie, would you make Calvin unattractive? Oh, or, sure. Yeah. See, I don't think, I don't think I would, but. So, I, yeah. I think there's ways of making, you know, you wouldn't necessarily sex I think, her her, I anyway, think making right? her more attractive detracts from the intellectual point you're supposed to perceive from her. Yeah, I'm not sure it does. I think you can get kind of a misanthropic yeah. thing across with with a reasonably attractive person. But there's there's plenty of of really attractive actresses that that act in roles that are not glamorous. I don't think that she should be glamorous necessarily. Where I think that maybe the Bridget Moynihan was right. a little too glamorous. Well, and to be act 
to be accurate to the screenplay, you're not going to cast a young woman. Yeah. Yeah. You would have I, someone there. I picture somebody like Diane Lane, who's, who's very attractive, but not super, super glamorous. All right. Let's fantasy cast this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we want George Clooney as Stephen Byerly. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, I, I liked, I liked James Cromwell as, as, uh, he did, he did landing. Yeah. yeah. I liked yeah. him as landing. Yeah. Um, definitely, um, Simon Pegg as, as the, whichever the redhead was in <laughs> Howl and Donovan. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Add a little comedy with those right. guys. Yeah. Um, but you need old and young copies of them as well. Yeah. True. Right. You can tell you. I really liked in the screenplay the whole notion of these guys are obsolete. They are doing the very, right. big, because in the, in the screenplay, it does talk about how they had done, they had made the interstellar jump drive and then figured mm-hmm. out how to do it without the spaceship. Yes. So now what do you need spaceships for? Right. Um, and so their remaining job is to pilot spaceships out to frontier planets and build the teleporters there, which I thought was a cool, cool idea. Yeah. And kind of sad. It was, um, yeah. A little tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Read the screenplay. It is good stuff. The best sci-fi movie never made. Yeah, pretty much. There is no Spooner. <laughs> Spooner wasn't bad. He's very reminiscent of Elijah Bailey from the Robot series. Yeah. <laughs> so I was telling you guys that the Spanish title of the movie tie-in has Will Smith on the front and it says, Yo, yo Robot. <laughs> yo Robot. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's Fresh Prince of uh, <laughs> right. <my> Robot. <laughs> Boy, do I, we have anything else to talk we're about? We're about wrapped, I think. So is it time to be rank? I think so. Let's see. Um, hmm. Look at the screenplay. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Screenplay, number one. I thought, made a, I thought it would have made a cool movie. I'm disappointed it wasn't made. Yeah. yeah about definitely. that Kickstarter. Yeah. And then the, and then the, the iRobot book and then the movie. Yeah, I, I think I would rank the screenplay ahead of the book, except there, there's a couple scenes in there where it's between the reporter and his girlfriend and stuff. And I feel like it's just kind of superfluous. And, mm-hmm. and I, 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 I didn't want to read those parts. I wanted to get to the next story. And that was, Probably because I was coming to it after reading the book. So I have to go book first. Um, And then it's kind of a tie for me between the screenplay and the movie. I really like the movie. I I own it, watch it every couple of years. It's a lot of fun. Um, It's not that much fun. It's tons of fun, man. (laughs) I I will rewatch the movie several more times and and enjoy it every time. I've read the screenplay twice now. I probably don't need to go back to it. So so I think I'm going to go movie second, just based on that. I would reread the screenplay multiple times because it, it tells a great story and it mm-hmm. tells it in a way I had never read a screenplay before. Yeah. And no, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go book, screenplay, movie. Nice. And, and as a reminder to say, we're not saying that that means any of them are bad because we've said right. that some things yeah. were good and bad They're in the good. past. Yeah. Uh, there hasn't been an iRobot remake yet. Yeah. I'd be interested to see if it could happen. You know, I mean, right. we've, we've had the big I don't budget. know if it could happen under that title and not be associated with. Yeah. It seems like the Will Smith movie is pretty see, well go known. with Asmos original title. Mind and Iron. Yeah. Be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Except for then you'd have to make the robot seem kind of iron, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, back to the, the idea of watching or reading something multiple times, even for the movie. Uh, there was an author, a famous literary author, who wrote a book, and it's a fantasy book, but he didn't want it to be judged down because it was fantasy. And so he released it as a regular book and then resisted the the tendency for people to put it into the fantasy stereotype, the fantasy genre. Hmm. And that offended a oh. bunch of, of uh, fantasy writers, including Ursula K. Le Guin, who later came in and recanted <laughs> what she'd said hmm. when That's he explained funny. why. Um, See, Harlan Ellison actually is kind of in that, that mold where he's like, I don't want my stuff categorized as science fiction. I'll, I'll put a, there's a YouTube of Asimov and uh, Ellison on some 
talk show oh, cool. talking about it. No, I'll put that clip in the show notes. Yeah. But this idea that, you know, that there's something wrong with escapist literature and right. whether or not the fantasy mm-hmm. setting right. defines something as being, as being a fantasy. For example, we went to look for Daniel H. Wilson's Robopocalypse books. Right, mm-hmm. right. They were not in the sci-fi section. Right. They were in the adult fiction section. Yeah. And that was also true with Ira Levin's Stepford Wives mm-hmm. and, and one Contact. other book. And Contact. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, how can these books not be science fiction? And I think it's right. because... The author didn't want it categorized yeah. that way. Yeah, the author didn't want it categorized that way. Um, so a couple other things I'm going to put it in the uh, show notes. I did find an interview with the screenwriter from, from Hardwired. You know, oh, that cool. was the original one. And uh-huh. so I'll put that up in the show notes. Um, I also have a video of Asimov introducing the three laws and saying, Robot. <laughs> Robot. Um, ro- so. Yeah. So we so, never talked about the pronunciation issue. Right. Right. We did, we, we did with the previous iRobot episode we did because everyone in that said robot. Oh, yes. Right. Um, or at robot. least in the original version. Right. Um, but in the, out of this world, Boris Karloff says robot, but you robot. know, that's, it's, maybe that's the, um, robot. The received well, pronunciation. It's like the British pronunciation. So next up, if everything works, we're, we're going to try and get, uh, Nick Jensen on as a co-host with us, a guest host. If it works. And we'll be reading and watching Starship Troopers. In Ooh. what format? VHS. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, I'm going to watch it on Netflix first. <laughs> no, you're going to watch VHS no, 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 no. first, then watch it on Netflix. We need at least one of us to go out of order so we can tell if the, if your VHS one is pan and scan. I got to get the book and start reading it. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually started, I read one chapter of it just, just to kind of get the flavor of it and I set it aside. I'll, I'll, I went ahead and bought it. Oh, so, wow. Um, but yeah, if we get, if we can get Nick on here, that'd be great. I'm, I'm, I've been chatting with him and trying to figure out how to, uh, how to make that happen. <laughs> so if we can figure that out, that will happen. And, uh, but regardless, I think we're, we're going to be talking about Starship Troopers next month. So that is a full length novel. So get reading on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a short movie that is drastically different than the book, but quite entertaining. Right. And kind of like what we're just doing now. Kind of like what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah. There, there are different kinds of bad adaptations. But they're both right? inter- extremely entertaining. I would say right. Starship Troopers is more entertaining than iRobot. Just saying. Well, well, we'll get back to that <laughs> next month. Um, I think I've only seen Starship Troopers once. Really? Yeah, I think I saw it oh. in the theater and that was it. Starship Troopers was one of my dad's favorites. Like every time they came down to visit us, he would pick it up in a used bookstore and leave it at my house. <laughs> and read, how many copies do you have? I only have one now because I kept donating oh. to the library. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the first copy I, I, I read was one that he had, oh. he had, uh, that's a cool left. book too. Oh yeah. 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 It's good stuff. And, there's a lot left there, I think, to adapt. And I think it's being re-adapted. That's the rumor. So mm. yeah, we'll, we'll get back to that next time. Everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, we do encourage you to go up to our website, which is pavementpodcast.com, and hit us up on the contact form there or follow the links to the social media, to the Twitters and the Facebooks, and get in touch with us and let us know you're out there. And if you have a suggestion for us to do at some point on the show, do send that to us. But until next time, Yar. I am going to leave you with a, a version of the Pavement Pounder's blessing. Uh-oh. May the road rise up to meet you, and may your robots be always three laws safe. Yeah? Farewell. I like okay. it. All right. Bye, everybody. Hey, hang on a second. We forgot to do something. And and we forgot to do it so long that we we don't have an opportunity for James to come and join us for this emergency uh, Skype recording phone call where we need to take care of this really important business. So uh, I'm going to throw this over to Seth and let him talk about our iTunes reviews. Yes. So we wanted to give a shout out to a couple people who have left us nice reviews and uh, I wanted to kind of plug their shows as well. So these are a couple guys that I've interacted with a bit. Um, the first one, we got a nice review from TKC podcast, which is the kitchen counter and that's Roger. And 
I've been meaning to look at his pulled chicken recipe. Yes. So for anybody who does not currently subscribe to The Kitchen Counter, I definitely recommend it if you are at all interested in cooking because he really has some terrific recipes and just good ideas about equipping your kitchen and and just kind of getting in there and doing it. And he's in Oregon, you know, so that makes him extra special. We also got a review from Sci-Fi On Screen, and that's Jeff Palermo's podcast that I've been enjoying. Um, this is a solo podcast. He does it by himself. He reviews one film in great detail, kind of with a, a plot mar- march through, the kind of thing we don't do anymore. I don't, somehow it feels like he's just a lot smarter about movies than we are. We're, we're just kind of doing it from the casual fan perspective, not knowing that much about filmmaking and that kind of stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I mean... We're looking at it from a fan perspective, and so is he, but I just, I feel like he uh, he has a little more knowledge that he brings to bear on it, so good stuff. So if you've also enjoyed our podcast, uh, you can go to iTunes and, and give us a review on there. The reviews help us a lot by uh, giving us more visibility, so more people will see us when they search for podcasts about uh, three, three guys that run on streets, on pavement, and... Uh, uh, talk about movies and adapted science fiction because there's so many of those out there. We need one way to stand out from all the rest, and that's one way you can help us. Right. I think that's I think that's an actual category on iTunes too. Are you serious? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're in the TV and film category. I see. Uh, and you can also make those rankings on Stitcher. So if you've enjoyed us, we would love to have your rankings. Yes, we very much would, and definitely thank you very much to Roger and Jeff for leaving us reviews. And I have I have responded in kind. Because I enjoy both both their shows, though for completely different reasons. Okay, so I think we we will uh, maybe sign off and probably stitch this in right before the blooper reel. I like the Asimov quote: "Those people who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us who do." <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I like it. Shows how robots helped. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That a less a less than uh, well. <laughs> can't come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is here. We never let actual knowledge That's get in the point. way of talking. Touche. <laughs> yeah. And some of them, some of them, uh, <laughs> wow. And-